0: The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with them. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him,
1: May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean.
0: All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens,
1: I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, when you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth and He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offsprings. Therefore, by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead,
0: some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth.
2: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through the book of Acts, which is the story of the first church, the early church, the first century believers who took up the cause of Jesus and continued His ministry through the Holy Spirit that he sent to them after his resurrection and ascension. In today's story, we are in the middle of a missionary journey, Paul's second one. He's a leader in the church. Uh, His home base is a church in Syria uh, in a community called Antioch. And he was sent out on his second missionary journey with a team of people, uh, part of whom was Silas, a believer from Jerusalem. And they make their way across Turkey, visiting, uh, at the time it was called Asia, but vi- it is in Asia, visiting churches that Paul had planted with Barnabas on an earlier journey into this part of the world. He was from this part of the world in Tarsus. And the Lord leads them to go into Europe, and they cross the Aegean Sea to go into what was then known as Macedonia. It's now, because of the in of borders, is known as Greece. And establishes a church in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And in all three places, they were heavily persecuted and forced to leave. And so uh, Berea was all stirred up, and the believers believed that Paul kind of was the catalyst for this resistance. So they sent him away, and he sent back for Silas and a young believer named Timothy to come and join him. We will look at the text again. We saw it acted out by the International Bible Society, narrated by Dean Jones. And so Paul is sent away into Athens in verse 16 while he waited for Silas and Timothy to come and join him. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city of Athens was given over to idols full of idolatry. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. This was his normal pattern. Find people that feared God, that worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and go and prove to them that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of what is known now as the Old Testament, and uh, making believers and converts and disciples and out of out of the synagogue, a new church would form. And so here he is in Athens doing the same thing, but he he goes beyond just the synagogue because of all the idolatry around him and begins to preach and reason with people in the synagogue as well as in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Now, in our culture... People really do not socialize in a marketplace like they do in third world countries and in this part of the world. We go hunting or shopping. Get in there, get out, don't talk to strangers. But here, they're interested. They don't have television or social media to distract them. They're interested in new friends, new ideas, especially in Athens. And so Paul obviously has a great opportunity to converse with people. Verse 18, then certain... Epicureans, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Athens was kind of the hotbed of schools of philosophy. It's where Socrates was from, Plato, Aristotle, Uh, today's philosophical courses honor those three guys. And... The Epicureans followed the teachings of a philosopher named Epicurus who taught that pleasure was the purpose of life. And so some pursued total debauchery and some pursued pleasure with class. So there was pride involved in this as well as greed and pleasing oneself and how to make life work for you. Um, Our culture kind of has embraced this. You know, if it feels good, do it. it doesn't hurt anybody else, then what's the problem of me pursuing pleasure? The other side of the spectrum were Stoic philosophers. They were Stoic. They were kind of like today's gurus who who teach that uh, human desire is not good, that if we want to be good people, if we really want happiness, we must focus on nothingness. So discipline, denying oneself. There again, It can be pride can come into this thing. And so they would argue and debate daily about these things and look for people with new philosophies. And so here's Paul reasoning in the marketplace. And they say, you know, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Just like any other culture, uh, people want to label you. They want to put you in their container. This is something new. What what container we we put him in? Oh, he's got some new gods. They were polytheists. Let's listen to him talk about these new gods. So they took him and brought him, verse 19, to the Areopagos, which is where they met, as well as it was a group of people of philosophers, a council of philosophers called the Areopagos as well, saying, may we know what this new doctrine or teaching is of which you speak, verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing, They highly valued knowledge and theories Verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagos and said, so this is a great opportunity to preach, and he preaches what I would consider a great introduction to a gospel sermon, but it got short. He said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown god therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him him i proclaim to you now you can google, google this the history behind this altar to the unknown god is an interesting story it seems that years earlier a long time earlier a plague hit that part of the world and so they were Approaching all their deities, building altars to them, honoring them, offering sacrifices to them, and yet the plague didn't stop. It continued to knock off people, continue reducing their population. And a wise man from, a, from an island came to see them and told them, "You guys are neglecting an important God. He's the unknown God. You must build an altar to him and offer several." Perfect lambs. And here's how you do it. You quarantine so many lambs and don't feed them for such a period of time. You can Google it and find out the actual story. And and then let them go free. And those that start eating, call them out. But those just, just find a comfortable place to rest, and they don't immediately start eating, get those. Those are the ones you're going to sacrifice to the unknown God. So they did, and the plague began to stop disseminated, was over, came to a conclusion. So they kept this altar honoring the unknown God because of that that story. So Paul just segues from that and begins to preach. Verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And science has proven that to be true. And has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So the immigrants among us don't resent them. God may have a hand in them being in our country so that we can share the gospel with them. Can I get an amen? Verse 27, so that God made from one blood every nation and determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. In another verse, Paul writes that God has subjected creation to futility so that man would reach out for him. God wants us to seek him. Can I get an amen? Verse 22, for in him we live. We used to sing this, in him we live and move and have our being, in him we live. Anyway, as also some of your own poets have said, so he's connecting to them culturally and quotes, some of their poets, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, verse 29, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. If God is almighty, then how can we build idols and worship them when 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 we made them right, God's the one that made us. Verse 30. Here's his big point. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance. Of this to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So they'd already heard enough. They didn't want to swallow any more till later. Verse 33 So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite. So he was one of the members of the Areopagus a woman named Damaris, and others with them. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. That is an important sentence in today's sermon, so keep that in mind. What an amazing story. Uh, it reminds me of a video I saw. You can find it. I wish I had a copy of it called E.E. Towel which is Words of Rejoicing, over in the Pacific Islands. And it's a story, a reenactment of a story of a missionary that went to a pagan people and learned their language and began to preach the gospel to them. And how he did it was he built a little amphitheater and invited people to come every day to hear him talk. And the first thing he taught them was geography to give context for what he was going to do. and Then he went through the scriptures, creation, the existence of God, and God began to confirm this to the hearts of the people. And when he got to Jesus and the crucifixion, they began to weep, not knowing what was coming next. And when he got to the story of the resurrection, they began to rejoice and jump up and down and began to be filled with the Spirit. you got to see this video. The reenactment is absolutely amazing. And um, the next time they met, they began to weep again. And this was definitely proof they'd been filled with the Spirit. The primitive people began to weep again. And he says, why are you sad? You were happy. They he said, there are other villages that need to hear this. They heard the whole gospel. This story in Mars Hill, as amazing as it is, has been used by a movement called the Emergent Church or Progressive Christianity to somehow dumb down and water the gospel down. To take the offensiveness out of it, to take the foolishness out of it, and just to kind of jump people to the story of the resurrection. If they believe that, then they they kind of got a convert. If there was no death of Jesus on the cross, there would be no resurrection. So it wasn't just some tragedy that he died and God used it to, to uh, prove his reality. It was a tragedy for sure, but God's purpose was in it. And this is offensive to people. Some in the emergent church would say God is guilty of child abuse if he had a purpose in that. They resent, they reject the gospel uh, Progressive Christianity lowers the view of the Bible. They dumb down the facts and emphasize feelings. And essential Christian teachings, they are reinterpreting. This is happening in our lifetime. They redefine terms, creating a whole new definition of terms. And the heart of the gospel message shifts from our sin to the need for social justice. As important as that is, Separation from God is man's biggest problem. Now, looking at Paul's sermon, he did not mention the name of Jesus. He did not mention his virgin birth. He did not mention his death on the cross, his shed blood. He did not mention the Lord's table. He didn't get to. He got cut short, right? Oh, will hear you another time on this. But those that were stayed around heard him some more. If you'll notice in verse 18, it says, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, said, what does this babbler have to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So this recorded sermon is not a full picture of Paul's ministry in Athens, Right? Uh, Lon Solomon, a pastor from McLean Bible Church, kind of views this that Paul made a mistake, but he learned his lesson when you see what he did in Corinth. I don't think he made a mistake. I think he was attempting to connect to the people culturally, to make the message relevant without watering it down, without changing it. Here is Morris Hill today. I believe we should embrace the story of Mars Hill, but embrace all the New Testament, not use it as the lens through which to filter everything else out. That is abuse of the Scriptures. I'd like to speak to you today on this subject. Don't forget the Gospel. We emphasize reading our Bibles through this year, last year. That's a lot of information over the course of the year. But the crux of the matter the, nut, uh, the truth of the Bible in a nutshell, the anchor of our faith is not the amount of information that we consume, but the information that saves us is the good news of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for us on the cross so that through his resurrection we might not perish but might have everlasting life. Why are we perishing? We're in sin, we're separated from God. And through his offering, we've been made in union with God. This is good news. This is not something to water down. So chapter 18, verse 1 says, shortly thereafter, he left Athens and goes to Corinth. I wonder what he preached there. Well, he stayed there a year and a half, so he preached the whole gospel. He had a good uh, opportunity to make disciples and left a powerful church and wrote them two letters. In his first letter to this church in Corinth of Greece, he had this to say in chapter 2, verse 1. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, which is what he did in Mars Hill, right? He, He delivered a masterful sermon there. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And where is the power of God encountered? It's encountered in the gospel. That's why we do not ever want to forget the gospel. And our efforts to to communicate with people, to connect with people, to be relevant with people in our preaching and in our sharing of our testimonies, we do not want to water it down. Obviously, people have got to be ready to hear, but you've got to understand, God confirms the gospel. Can I get an amen? The gospel is not to be diluted. In this same letter, chapter 1, verse 17, Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Jesus died for your sins. Deal with it. Well, can't you just say it another way? It's making me feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry, but you and I are horrible people and we need a Savior to come and pay the penalty that we are worthy of receiving. The gospel is perceived as foolishness. You cannot change it where people see it as really a smart idea. No, it's foolish to them until God opens their eyes. Verse 18 of that same chapter, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, think about it. Someone born of a virgin? Someone dying for the sins of the world? Someone raising from the dead? Someone ascending to heaven, promising to come back. Someone sending the Holy Spirit. Someone calling people to celebrate what he did for them through drinking the cup and eating unleavened bread. Seems strange to an unbeliever, wouldn't it? So don't change it, just recognize that fact. The gospel is perceived as foolishness, but also the gospel is the power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, and the rest of the verses, but to us who are being saved, it is. Somebody said is. It is the power of God. The gospel is what God uses to save us. If the real gospel saved you, why would you want to change it and try to save somebody else? It won't work that way. You might get a church member, you might get a religious person, but If the person isn't reunited with the God who made the universe, we're wasting our time. The next verse, 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The old King James Version Says, through the foolishness of preaching, God has chosen to save people. My dad used to say, Alan, it's the foolishness of preaching, it's not foolish preaching. So we need to work on our diction and learn the English language and not just and be prepared, not just open our mouths and let her fly. The gospel is what God uses to humble us, it's offensive to thinking people. But until God opens their minds, he offends their minds to show them the condition of their hearts. The next verse, 22, Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Man and all of his wisdom can't solve all of his problems. He creates new scenarios, new problems. With the invention of the internet and all the wisdom behind that, and all the amazing things about that has come a whole new wealth of foolishness. Who would agree with me? So Christ will trip you up. He'll stumble you till God opens your eyes. The gospel is not easily seen by unbelievers. Chapter 4 of his next letter to the church in Corinth, verse 3 says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. That's why they need help. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So if you are saved from your sins, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you have a relationship with God, it's not because of your IQ level. It's not because of Uh, your smarts in investigating things and coming to the right conclusions. It's because God opened our eyes. We had help from on high. Paul knows that for a fact. God blinded his eyes for a season to show him the blindness of his spiritual eyes. The gospel is to be kept pure. In his letter to the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, Chapter one, verse six, he marveled that they were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now we're living in a day where there's two extremes happening just like it happened in Paul's day. There's the one extreme that wanna water down the gospel, make it palatable to unbelievers, Make it less foolish. And then there's the other extreme. It's too simple. It's not enough. We've got to put burdens on people. Men have to be circumcised. Women have to observe kosher laws. You've got to add to your requirements for living a godly life 613 commands of Moses. The whole book of Galatians is to correct that error of the gospel being contaminated. By addition. So you've got his approach with Corinth, and you've got his approach with Galatia, bringing balance and correction. It is the gospel. It is simple, yes. It may seem foolish to some, but it is the power of God, and adding to it does not add to its power. You're putting a price tag on the grace of God. It's free. We're either freely saved or we're not saved at all. He goes on in that same chapter to say, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Just in case you misunderstand, I'm going to repeat it. That's what he did. Strong words for a serious problem. The gospel is to be preached boldly. Don't be ashamed. Declare the truth. Be willing to be persecuted. But declare it well in as easily understood language as you can. And that's why our testimony is so important, how you encounter the gospel and how God opened your eyes. I am not ashamed, Romans 1:16, 16, of the gospel of Christ, for it is, it is, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's good news for both. Don't be ashamed of it. And the gospel is to be proclaimed biblically. To Timothy, who was part of this, his team on this journey, he wrote two letters. Timothy became the pastor of the church, I think, in Ephesus. Is that right? Which is the city he goes to next from Corinth. And in his second letter to him, he says, A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. We're living in that day. There are people in churches just like this. Tell me something good. Yes. Paul, preaching to people in Corinth and everywhere he went, did not preach things like this. You can't lose with the stuff I use. No, that's foreign to the gospel. He did not... Preach. You can have a new anointing for $75. Just sow your seed today. We see these things preach. God wants you to be happy. Now, happiness is a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace. But the key to being joyful is to be filled with the Spirit. It's not based on our circumstances and our selfish desires being fulfilled. Shortcutting the gospel and declaring God wants you to be happy messes up the whole picture of how happiness comes and lasts in our life. God wants you to follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Man, you can follow your heart into deep depression. It's not in man to know his own way. Our hearts in themselves need to be replaced. We are to guard our heart, Proverbs says, with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart. It's a precious thing. Don't follow it. Guard it. Follow the Spirit. Follow Jesus. God wants you to be all you can be. Really? I think he wants you to yield to his will and be conformed to the image of God of the Son of God. Don't forget the gospel. Jude, the brother of Jesus, commissioned us with this statement, to earnestly contend for the faith as it was once or first of all delivered to the saints. What was that faith? Well, it's in the New Testament. And it's in history. And it's in the original, somebody said original, the original Apostles' Creed. Now, the words of this may seem foreign to you, because if you grew up reciting the Apostles' Creed, these words are different. Because over the centuries, the original, this comes from the second century church, the original words began to be changed, things got added in, and untruths in a couple places crept in. But in its purest form, this is the original version of the Apostles' Creed translated from Greek, from the Greek language. Nobody knows who wrote it or if it evolved out of the church, but this, outside of the scriptures, in a nutshell, is the basis of the Christian faith. This is the heart of the gospel. As the praise team comes forward and joins me up here, let's stand together. And read this together. Can we do that? All right, everybody. I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, crucified under Pontius Pilate and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. For there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. This is the heart of our faith. And in our efforts to be relevant, please don't water this down. Please don't reduce this. If you go to a church that is doing this, change churches. In a nice way. You know, God's writing Ichabod on the doors of this church. Don't do that. And be faithful in your relationships with unbelievers to share your testimony. It doesn't say you have to quote the entire Bible to them, but share what God has done in your life and how He did it. And as He opens their eyes, share the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be impacted by Your Word, that we would have a love for reading the entirety of the Scriptures, that we would hold close the faith that you've called us to, as it was first delivered to the church, as voiced in the second-century words translated from the Greek language. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to serve you and worship you, Lord. May you be honored by the next part of this service. In Jesus' name, Amen.
3: I've heard the Lord say revival. 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 Five. Life. Where you felt empty. Re is doing again. Where there are things that you thought were dead. God wants to bring those to life. Your hopes. Your dreams. Your visions. Your goals. He's not an abracadabra God, though. he's not a magic. There are things he requires of us. And I've been saying, Lord, what do you require of me? And the Lord has been speaking some changes to me. He's not going to do it magically and drop it in our lives always. There are things he requires of us. But this is the year, I believe, of revival. If you'll just trust the Lord, and if you'll do those things He called you to do, this is the year of re- revive, renew, re life. This is the year if you'll just be obedient. Lay those things that you thought were dead, they're not. <clears throat> those things you put on the shelf that you thought will never happen. Dust those things off, get them down
2: those dreams and hopes this is the year of revival Lord we receive this word we're encouraged by this word help us Lord to apply this word and to contend for personal revival and corporate revival Lord we thank you for what you did with us in the 90s we're not asking you to do that again we're asking you Lord to do what you want to do to rekindle our passion for you for your word, for your spirit, and for the gospel. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 amen, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you see opportunities to share your testimony. And the gospel with those that need to hear in words they can understand, but without watering down the truth. In Jesus' name. And Lord, when we need to go back and say, "Hey, I need to tell you the rest of the story. I need to tell you more of the inside story. Let's do that as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go get entitled.